Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. We're grateful that you've uh, chosen to listen in and be a part of this. Uh, I'm excited to, to get to host this today. My name is Ben and with me we have Tim, who is uh, stepping in and willing to join us and, and do something new here with the podcast, which is really cool. Uh, he started a sermon series yesterday uh, on the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew chapter 6, and we got a couple words in. We'll talk about that more here in just a minute. Before we do that, let's talk about some announcements and some things going on. Uh, Preston and the student ministry have begun the Red Envelope uh, fundraiser for our CIY Move trip. That's for high school students. It's a conference that they go to where it's a, a very intense, uh, invested uh, interaction with God and with one another as they as they look to grow in their own faith and their own belief. Um, it's a great event, but it also costs some money. And so this fundraiser is just a great way to to support them in those resources and help them be able to do that well. Um, and so it's, it's real simple. You find one of the envelopes uh, as they're set up in the foyer. Uh, you pick an envelope that has a number on it that meets uh, your desire and your ability to be able to give and to serve and to help in that kind of a way. You put the money in the envelope and you turn it back in. Uh, for those of you who are obviously listening to this podcast, uh, you can't just walk in and grab one. You can wait until this next Sunday if you'd like to come in and grab one, but you can also feel free to just go ahead and give right now. You can jump onto our church center app and the give option in the bottom, or you can go to northliberty.cc and select the tab that says give. Both of those options are easy and, and work really well. And whenever you give, there is a drop-down option to let you select the red envelope fundraiser. And so if you'd like to support this ministry and, and those opportunities, this fundraiser for them, uh, make sure you check those things out. We're also still asking for volunteers for VBS. It takes a lot of people to make that event go off really, really well. We're, uh, we're very pleased with the amount of people who've already signed up and plugged in, but we can still use some more. And so if you're a sixth grader through a senior in school, we still want to, you know, we have roles for you to serve and ways in which you can help. If you're an adult, we still have needs for that as well. And so if you'd be willing and able, that's June 21st through the 24th um, and all sorts of different ways in which you can serve and, and be a part of what we're doing. And all that's really great. All right, let's now talk about this sermon that we were able to to listen to yesterday, Tim. Um, it was a good one. I appreciated a, a lot of the things that you had to say. I want to start with this, though. It's a brand new series, and so I want to ask you uh, why you even chose to do a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Well, even though we're a church that emphasizes prayer uh, over this past year, uh, just talking with people relating to the COVID and how they've shared in so many different situations, how they've gone to God in prayer. They just really found how important that's been in their life when they've encountered struggles and the fear factor. And I thought, you know, this would be a good time to focus um, and get the people understanding what this Lord's Prayer was all about rather than just making a a, a recital of some prayer. And I just wanted to, to, to bring it to the congregation that this is personal with God. He wants to have a, a communication with his kids. And so that's basically what I was trying to do yesterday. And that's great. Um, when you put this series together, I know that we've only heard just the one sermon, but as you developed this and as you put it together, what is one of the things that was surprising to you that, that maybe you didn't necessarily anticipate as you did your study and began preparing the things that you were going to communicate? Well, overall, uh, going over this, the material, uh, I was surprised that Actually, this, this prayer um, that Jesus used as a model for the first century Christians to hear it, it was, it was very political. And as I'm trying to go through this, uh, the material, uh, I had to kind of change direction um, because I didn't want to get too political, but I also want the people to understand where the, the hearers of Jesus' day, what they were hearing at that moment. And, and I think that uh, 
by going over the material, I've learned a lot that, man, Jesus, he, he wants us to understand that our God is a personal God. He wants us to call him Father uh, because that's what he is to us. And Jesus, he just opened the doors for us to be able to uh, walk into the presence of God just like we would our own dads. And But but at the start of it, it was just difficult for me to try to navigate through everything, um, looking at it from a pol- political standpoint. I agree, Tim. I think that those are those are big conversations and something that we can press into, especially with this last year and a lot of the uh, ways in which we've seen people struggle because of, of social interaction and the way it's been taken away from people in a lot of ways um, has caused us to to look inward, to look outward, to try to figure out what relationships are and how we communicate and talk. And, and even as we consider what it means to have a relationship with God, just that personal aspect and the ability to have those conversations. I think that's a really great conversation. I appreciate you getting that started. Let's listen in now uh, to Tim's sermon called Our Father. Today we begin a new study called Yours is a Kingdom a phrase-by-phrase study through the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to talk to us about how we get to talk to him, how we can pray. And I would like for all of us to acknowledge as we study the Lord's Prayer that prayer is always essential. But there are some times where it is absolutely critical. Because there are pivotal moments in our lives where we are making decisions or we are going through circumstances that will dictate the road that we're going to be on for years to come. And I think as a nation, we understand that with the political divisions and unrest caused by both parties, and especially the media, that that one of those intersections that we're going to find ourselves in every two or four years, no matter what happens, it's a pivotal time in our lives. Decisions we're making as a nation have long-term implications, and I think we can all agree on that. We want to be intentional, though, as a people of prayer, as a church that prays. And that's always true no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. But there are certain times in life where we need to especially commit ourselves to keeping our eyes and our walk with God. Now, Miss Terry has this uncanny sense of direction. She's annoyingly accurate in this stuff. Uh, and, And she's always knows where we're at when we're going through different towns and cities. She knows which way I need to turn, which way I need to go. She knows this song. Some people think they know Miss Terry knows. And I don't like admitting that, especially when I try to argue with her uh, when we're traveling, and I think I know which way I need to turn and and whenever we're traveling within these particular cities, but she's always the one that's right. And, And I don't even like to admit that because she's sitting back there listening to this. She has a strong sense of direction, and I don't have a sense of direction. We, we can be anywhere, and she knows which way we came from and which way we need to go. And when I come out of a store, when I go into the store, I, I don't know where my car is. I take a picture, literally take a picture of the front of the store or the, the, uh, the light pole that has a number on it indicating that I need to go back to that spot. And, and being married to someone like that creates this interesting dynamic. I, I like to drive, but I don't know where I'm going. Uh, she, like, she doesn't like to drive, but she knows where we're going. And so she's constantly giving, giving me direction, telling me which way to turn, telling me if I'm going the wrong way or not. And now when we first got married, I, I didn't always like that or receive her directions with humility or thankfulness, okay? Sometimes I think, you know, God has this great sense of humor and he says to the Holy Spirit, hey, we're going to put these two in a car together and watch what happens. This is going to be awesome. 
And then with GPS came, when GPS came along and suddenly the ground was level. I was happy in a lot of ways because you have this great equalizer now. I can, I can now, you know, consult the, the all-knowing satellites in the sky and I don't have to listen to her tell me what to do all the time knowing that she's right. And even better than that, we have GPS on our iPhones. It's right there. You can put it on a little stand and then you get to hear this, this annoying voice telling you where to go all the time. Turn left, turn right, turn right, go back, turn to do a U-turn. It just goes on and on, and you just want to create, you know, shut down the volume on this because it's just doggone annoying. But, but so it, it helps, though, to set the GPS to, to a voice maybe that you don't mind hearing. Maybe like you, you know, uh, Jackman, Daniel Craig, little Ryan, uh, Ryan Reynolds with that Australian English, you know, kind of uh, accent there. Because I don't know why, but there is something about those amiable voices that you don't mind hearing. Turn right, turn left. Oh, I can do that. You hear the directions given to you and how far you've got to go. You listen carefully. The GPS pays attention to these significant intersections and directions. And whatever direction you turn is going to have long-term implications. Turn right, turn left, do a U-turn. Pay attention because if you paid attention, you wouldn't be lost. I don't know how many times I've been to Joplin, Missouri, and the last time Terry and I went down there to move Jennifer into her new apartment, I'm going across the, the river where the arch is, and I'm supposed to be on 44 West, and I drive right past it. Now, I blame it was the, you know, the, the sun in my eyes. And we're going through the northern parts of St. Louis, and I said, Terry, where are we? And she just gets on GPS and, hey, keep going. What do you mean keep going? Tell me which way I'm supposed to turn. Just keep going straight, Tim. Pay attention. Go straight. And we pay, we, 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 I paid attention to her. I thanked her. And we got to a place on back on 44 that was well beyond all of the construction that was taking place. And I'm thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Terry. She paid attention. You pay close attention to those pivotal moments in time or you're going to get lost. And we have those moments in life as well. We have pivotal moments in life where wherever we go, whatever way we turn, we have these huge implications here. And that's true uh, for us these days as a country, as a church. While prayer is always essential, we have to recognize that there are times that are more critical than we could ever imagine. And allow me to define pivotal times with three categories. And the first one is significant decisions. These are pivotal moments in life where you're making big implication uh, decisions here. Who, who you're going to you know, date or where you're going to go to college, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, where, what kind of career you're going to have. And as a nation, who you're going to elect as a, a politician. These big decisions, significant decisions, pivotal moments in life. And maybe the most important for any person is will you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and as an adult, will you set the example for your kids in following Jesus? Secondly, uncertain future. Because we're, we're on a road and you don't really know which way it turns. You need to be especially aware of the directions that you're going. It's, it's an unknown uh, road. It's uncertain future. You're not exactly sure which way you're going to go and so you have to pay attention and you have these moments of life, your job might have been eliminated, and you've got to do something different. Maybe the economy is in trouble, or your, your job is in trouble here, or you don't quite uh, trust the nation's leaders, or you're wor worried about the direction that our country is going, the future is uncertain, and, and this is a time, a pivotal moment, where we especially want to be intentional as a people of prayer. Number three, different difficult circumstances. 
And this is where there is a devastating diagnosis or your spouse tells you there's someone else or your, your loneliness starts to, to overwhelm you or a loved one's depression has you completely depleted and you don't know which way to t- turn. COVID has shaken your, your outlook on life. You feel like you've, you've done, you can't do anything else. You've given everything that you have. You're surrounded by all these difficult moments. These are times where we want to be careful to walk with God. And here's the thing about pivotal moments. It is, we don't often understand how pivotal they are in the moment. In, in hindsight, we can look back and, and we can see a, a season of life where we're making these significant decisions and now we realize how pivotal they were at the time, but we didn't realize it then. If, if we knew now what we know, or knew then what we know now, then we would have been a little more intentional. We would have been a little more uh, careful. We would have talked to God. We would have been more dependent upon his wisdom. But we don't always fully recognize it in those moments. But as a nation, these days we do have a sense of it. We may not know uh, what, to what degree, but we have a sense that these are pivotal times. And so here's what you have to, at this, in this particular intersection of our lives here, you have the, the obsession where people are always looking to the left or they're always looking to the right either way the road seems dangerous there's not they're not sure which way to go and while our world may be obsessed looking to the left or looking to the right we have got to be a church a people of God who looks up and not to the left or to the right we're going to be putting our trust and our hope in God we're going to be dependent upon him in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to teach us how to pray during pivotal times. And in this passage, Jesus begins with this teaching before he even gets to the Lord's Prayer by telling us what not to do, how not to pray. And so in chapter 6, verse 5, he says, and when you pray, here's how, what you don't do. Don't pray like the hypocrites over here. And he's talking about the religious leaders of his day. He says, look, when you pray, don't pray like them. Well, I thought we were supposed to pray like them. No, you, you don't pray like them because here's what they do. They love to pray, uh, you know, standing in the synagogues or out on the street corners for men to be seen, for people to be able to see what they're doing. And maybe in today's culture, Jesus may have put in there, don't, don't do what the people do on social media because all they want to do is have a spotlight on themselves. And he says this, the phrase here, seen by men, again, is this phrase that comes from the theater. It's, putting, it's this idea of putting on a performance for an audience. And Jesus says, look, don't, don't be like that. Because when they pray, they're just reciting, you know, these, these lines like they're on a stage in this performance. They're doing it for people to see. And that's not the kind of relationship God is interested in having with any of us. He goes on in verse 6. But when you pray, instead, here's what you want to do. You want to go into your room and close your door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret is going to reward you. And so Jesus says, when you pray, you go into your room, you shut the door, you get on your knees or whatever posture you're like, and you just talk to God. And he uses this image of a father. Talk to God as a father, a loving, trusted dad. And so the question to us is this, when you go through pivotal times, is this something that marks your life? Where you just go into a a closed room, you shut the door, and you have a a, a one-on-one conversation with God. Just a simple relationship, and you're talking to him as a father. And Jesus says, when you do that, then God, who sees what everybody else doesn't see, he's going to reward you. And so Jesus challenges us to talk to God in in, in a way that a lot of us didn't grow up learning about talking to God. 
because a lot of us grew up learning to, and memorizing certain prayers. This is how you're supposed to pray, and this is when you pray, and this is the right way to do it. And Jesus says, nope, that's not really the big concern here that I have. And he goes on in verse 7 and 8, don't recite the same prayers over and over again as the heathens do who think that their prayers are answered by repeating them again and again. Like it's some kind of for, uh, magic formula. He says, remember that your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask. Now, when I opened up this, looking through this study, I, I was learning so much. And I'm thinking, wow, this isn't even about where I was, thought it was going to go. Because for many of the Jews, prayer had become this formal, lifeless ritual. They had all of these prayers that they, had, that, 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 that they recited. And they had the Shema that they would do at 9 a.m. and then uh, 9 p.m. It didn't matter what they were doing. They would stop in those moments and they would pray. They would recite, recite that prayer. And they had the series of these 18 little prayers. They would say three times a day. And they had these scripted prayers for, for almost everything under the sun. When there was a new moon, they had a prayer to recite. When they went to a new city, they had a prayer to recite. When they came out of a city, they had a prayer to recite. When somebody gave them good news, they had a prayer to recite. And it was just, it was these memorized prayers. And so it was largely about repetition. It was reciting something that they had memorized. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray so much like that. Instead, you go into your room and you shut the door and you have a conversation with God just like you would with your husband, wife, or your children, or a friend. And then he gives them an example of what kind of prayer he's looking at here, and this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And all Jesus is doing there is giving us simple elements that we can have in our own prayer. When, when, when you put the prayer of the Lord's Prayer in, in context of Jesus' teaching here, we discover, ironically, that the Lord's Prayer has become, for many, the type of prayer that Jesus spoke against before he started teaching this. In other words, it's a prayer that people just started reciting now. They, they've known it since they were a little kid, and they simply just go through the lines as though they're up on a stage. And what I want us to do in this study is to really think about where we're, what we're saying and how Jesus is inviting us to talk to God. Look at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we're only going to be covering that part of uh, the, the phrase today. But Jesus begins by saying, our Father. You see, up to this point in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has talked about God as a Father. And that was very uncommon in his day in the first century. So the Jewish people hearing this, this is all new to them. And on occasion, in the Old Testament, Jesus, or rather God, would be described as a father figure. And so Jesus does this here in Matthew chapter 6. But now he starts to move into a more personal area here where he starts addressing God as father. And that's something totally different. It's never been done before. One New Testament scholar studied all the prayer literature in, in ancient Judaism, and there were tons of volumes of this, but he couldn't find one example where God was addressed as Father. Or Abba, Father, is the word that Jesus uses here, something extremely personal. And so our Father indicates that there's an intimate relationship. There's this personal relationship that this is the basis that we go to God in prayer. And this is huge in developing a desire to want to pray and unlocking the power of prayer in our lives if we understand the basis for it. It's not just to recite and look good. It's an intimacy with our Heavenly Father. That is the basis of our personal relationship where it's God as Father. And the term for Father here is a close family word describing a close relationship between a dad and a child. And so Jesus, in starting the prayer this way, would have shocked his listeners. This is the first time they've heard this. 
But Jesus, is, he's inviting them. He's giving them permission to approach God as Father. Now, I want you to think about the basis for your prayer life, the basis for your relationship with God. What's, what's that relationship uh, based on for you? For most of us, whether we know it or not, we have developed this, this business partnership approach to our relationship with God. Maybe a, a better, better way to say that is this employee-boss uh, relationship with him where there is mutual contribution, there is mutual benefit like any good partnership, right? But both parties are going to benefit from it, and if somebody doesn't benefit from it, uh, if some of the conditions aren't met, then that partnership gets dissolved. We tend to approach God this way. He doesn't give us what we want, then he must not be there. He must not love me. He must not care. You see it when God, you, you see it when God doesn't do uh, when, when, what, what we think he should do. That's, how we, that's when we start feeling this because it starts to feel like he's not holding up his end of the deal. We're like, okay, God, I've done my part. I go to worship. I give a little tithe. I serve once in a while. I'm holding up my end of the deal, God. Why don't you start holding up your end of the deal? That was our agreement. And we start having these expectations of God that he is somehow obliged to us. Or maybe think of terms of a job. If you've worked a couple of weeks, you know that after two weeks, you usually get a check, right? You expect that paycheck to come because of the work you put into it. And you're not like, well, gosh, this is a surprise. I didn't know I was going to get paid for this stuff. And you're looking at that check, you know, oh, wait a minute. I deserve this. I want more. That's how we approach God. There's a sense of expectation because you know what you've put into it. What's God going to put into this? When we approach God with this business partner approach, it's easy to become disillusioned because it doesn't seem like he's coming through or we don't know that we can really trust him. Because uh, like any good partnership, you know, there, there's, there, that, it's going to be looking, each person's gonna be looking out for their own interests and so we start to think that maybe God doesn't have our best interests in mind and he can be difficult to trust. Instead, the basis for our foundation then is a fatherly relationship with a loving father, with a trusted father. It may be a, a father figure uh, that many of you, you don't understand because you didn't have a dad in your life that was godly. But that's how God wants us to approach him. It's not conditional, it's unconditional. It's not based on what we do, it's based on who we are. That, that, is, that we are his through Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters. It's based on a loving relationship. So please do not compare our heavenly father with your earthly dad, okay? Don't do it because there's a vast difference. And Richard Foster says this, prayer is about a loving relationship, an enduring, continuing, growing love relationship with the great God of the universe and overwhelming love invites response. Loving is a syntax to prayer. To be effective prayers, we need to be effective lovers of God. And then he quotes the rhyme of the ancient mariner and he says, in, that pr in he that prayeth well loveth well, real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth but from falling in love. And this unlocks a, a desire for us to pray and the power of prayer. It's personal. It's a personal relationship with God as Father. And another implication of our Father is that it's, it's, it's an immediate access. We can go directly to God anywhere, anytime. You don't have to take a number. You're not going to be put on hold. He is our Father. When my dad came back to the, to the Lord in 71, 
He, he, uh, he went to school and got his credentials, you know, to be a minister, a teacher, professor, elder, counselor. He was a union president of, you know, USWA local 1191. And in our house, he, out, his study was out on the enclosed porch and he had his library out there and his desk and his phone and his, you know, certificates and diplomas. And, and people would stop by unannounced uh, quite often. So my mom would do what she could to protect his time. She would kind of be that interference for him. And, and some of you might not understand that, that during that time when I was growing up, this was before cell phones. You may not understand that there were, they, the, the phones back in the day, were the, they were about the size of shoeboxes, okay? And you, you either hung it on a wall or set it on a table, and before you even talked, you had to hang it upside down and, and let it unwind or you're going to get all tangled up in it. So when I was out and about and needed to call home for advice or just talk to my dad, you know. Um, my mom would always be the one to answer the phone. My dad never answered the phone. Mom was always there. And uh, I, I didn't ask mom, hey, can I talk to Elder, you know, Elder Al or you know, Professor Stewart or the counselor or you know, Reverend, Reverend Stewart, you know, the president of local you know, 1191. And she would tell me, hey, you, know, you, you, you call that a bad time. You just call back later. Set an appointment with him. You know what, what, what would happen here? I would say, hey, mom, can I talk to dad? And, and, and she would go get him, and I would have immediate access to my dad. It didn't matter what, what he was doing more often than not. It didn't matter who he, who he, was, he was meeting with. He, he'd take the call. Why? Because I'm his son. I've got immediate access to my dad. Other people didn't get to play that card. They may have, even have more important things to talk about, but that's not the basis of their relationship. The basis was my relationship with my dad as his son. And Jesus begins our father. He could have said our king, our master, our lord, our creator. All those things are good and true, but he begins with our father. And so how you address someone is determined by how personal the relationship is. And that's what you use to address someone. You, you could have a lot of titles that could be accurate and true, but you go with the one that's most impersonal. And when Jesus says our father... He's inviting us into a relationship with God as Father, which is foreign to a lot of you and even to the first century listeners. And so he says, our Father, in the next two words, he says, in heaven. You see, he just got done talking about the fatherliness of God. This brings about comfort and security. And then he starts talking about the heavenliness, uh, heavenliness, heavenliness of God. And it gives us perspective. It gives us strength. It gives us hope. It, it helps us trust the creator, our Father in heaven. You see, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's not talking about some mystical place in, in the clouds. It's referring to a realm that's outside of time and spa the space realm that you and I have been confined to. Meaning that when God looks at time, he doesn't look at time unfolding a moment at a time. He sees the whole. He sees everything, the entirety. He sees a big picture. He sees what we can't possibly see and he understands what we can't possibly understand. And so we trust him because of his fatherliness and because of his heavenliness. And a good example of this is the Old Testament book of Job, where Job's seemingly perfect life falls apart around him. He loses his livelihood. Um, all of his sons and daughters are, are killed in some kind of storm. He gets sick. He has all these, these uh, sores all over his body. His wife and friends start to, to uh, turn against him, and then they try to encourage him to turn against God. Things fall apart for Job, and he's beginning to question the fatherliness and the heavenliness of God. And he says, God, why is this happening? If you love me, then, then, then why don't you? And if you can, then why haven't you? He begins to question God. And in Job chapter 38, God responds to him. And God says in verse 2 and 3, Who is that? 
Who is that that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, who is this guy who thinks he knows, knows what he's talking about? And then he says to Job, brace yourself like a man. I mean, you don't, you don't want God telling you to brace yourself like a man because it's not going to be good. Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you're going to answer me. Yeah, let's do it that way, Job. How about I start asking you some questions? And that's what happens here. God says to Job, Job, where were you, or were you around when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, did you determine how much water the oceans are going to hold? Uh, Job, have you set the time the sun will rise and set? Like, the, does the sun rise and set on your alarm clock, Job? Uh, have you discovered how the oceans are kept full? Have you comprehended the vastness of the universe? Do you know how many snowflakes are going to fall on the earth this year? Do you know how light travels? Do you, do you determine the course water? will flow do you have power to move constellations can you do that job you see god begins to make it clear that he understands what we can and he sees what we don't and i know sometimes in our lives we feel like our lives are just spinning out of control but you understand that the the world the earth is spinning a thousand miles an hour right now but it's not spinning out of his control god doesn't try to explain everything to job he doesn't say, hey, Job, why don't you sit down? Let, let, me, let me share something with you. Let me give you some timeline here because things are going to look a whole lot different for your life a year from now, okay? This is what's going to happen, you know, a year from now. This is what your life is going to look. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, Job, uh, look, I want you to, I'm going to learn, teach you something that you're just not going to grasp, okay? In the year 2021, there is actually going to be, you know, some five to 700 people in, in what they call this place, uh, called the United States, that are going to be gathered together near little places of worship, and they're going to hear about your story. And some of them are going to be going some, through some difficult times, Job. They're going to hear what you did and how you responded and, and how the lost was redeemed, and they're going to be inspired by your story. God didn't do that. He says to Job, Job, can you move the constellations? Because if you can, then let's have a conversation. We'll talk then because I'm God and you're not. Isaiah 4, uh, 55, a very familiar passage. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. All the, uh, as the heavens are higher uh, than the earth, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. There's something comforting about a God that cannot be contained and doesn't need to explain himself. That's the God we worship. In Job chapter 40, verse 4, Job responds, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I, I put my hand over my mouth. And God pulls back the curtain just enough for Job to get a simple little glimpse of who he is as a heavenly father. And Jesus prays, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, that word hallowed is not a word that is commonly used. I don't know anybody who uses, hey, you're hallowed. I don't know anybody who, knows, know anybody who uses that. And yet, it's, there's not been an updated uh, word for that in most of our contemporary versions of the Bible. And it's because we don't have a good contemporary word for hallowed. The word is not honored because it's a lot stronger that, than that. It's not putting something in first place. It's acknowledging that God is in a category all of his own. It's acknowledging that he is on a different level altogether. The idea of the word hallowed is to separate, to set apart, to make something sacred or absolute ultimate. You see, in our prayers, that's the adoration praise. That's the adoration peace where we are hallowing God's name. We're saying, God, you have no equal. Uh, our hope is in you alone. And what happens for a lot of us, and our prayers have a tendency to reveal it, is that we end up hallowing something else. 
In other words, uh, we make something else the ultimate in our life. It might be finances, uh, new world philosophy, maybe a romantic relationship, your children, or maybe a political candidate. We start putting our hope in these things and we try to find strength in them. And we come to God and we're obsessed with these things. Why? Because we're, we've hollowed them. We've, we're making them the ultimate. And the sad truth is that our spirits rise and fall on how those things are going. But when we are intentional in prayer to adore God, to hollow his name, it puts everything else in, into perspective. It allows us to see that God alone is worthy and that he can be trusted in our hope and our peace. Those things are restored because of that. And in our prayers, especially when it's the pivotal times, our tendency is to get really obsessed with the mountains when what we really need to do is start giving some attention to the mountain mover. We need to give some attention to who God is and what he can do. And so Jesus prays our Father, and this prayer that we have, it's all about relationship that is allowed, and it's only possible through Jesus Christ, that, that we have been adopted through Jesus. So not everyone has this privilege. Not everyone has the privilege to come to God as Abba Father, as Daddy. Yes, people can still talk to God, but not in this personal relationship. It's only those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a moment, in, in, in a moment here, I'm going to ask uh, Paula Limerick uh, to come up here um, and, and on the front pew, and she's going to sit there, and she's going to get ready to pray for us. And I'm going to ask Chris to come back up and his worship team to lead us in a closing song that does nothing but bring adoration and praise to our God, and so that we as a body of Christ, whether you're here in person or online, that we can put our God, our Heavenly Father, in his rightful place as we hallow his name. During that time, if you are physically present with us and you want to talk about your relationship with the Lord, what that means, then you can come down front and meet any one of us. For those of you worshiping online and you want to make the same kind of decisions, I want to encourage you. You, you can still give us a call. You can go to our website. You can go to the church app center and, and just you know, click the connect with us. You can do all that. So there's so many options. Because as a church, we want not to be looking to the left or looking to the right. We want to be looking up towards our Heavenly Father. Because everything else that we see in this world is going to disappoint and our God does not. He is faithful. But let me share a few things about God as we approach, um, as we prepare to close in our worship. Church, understand that you cannot control God or make him in your image. God was not nominated, he was not appointed, he was not elected, so he can't be removed and he cannot be dismissed or voted out of office. His reign is universal and his term is eternal. His platform has been predestined and his agenda is inevitable. He cannot be controlled and God cannot be labeled. He's too big for that. God is not a capitalist, he's not a socialist. Uh, God is not a Democrat and God is not a Republican. Nobody gets to claim that. God is God and he is our heavenly father. Everybody wants to say, well, God's on our side. God's not on your side. Let me tell you whose side God is on. God is on God's side. 
He doesn't need us to make him famous. He doesn't need us to convince people that he's creative and cool and somehow relevant in this world. He's God. You cannot control him. You cannot label him. You cannot confine him. He sits enthroned in heaven so you can't restrain his will. You can't restrict his power. You can't limit his jurisdiction. The Bible says it is earth. The earth is his footstool. And so you can't surprise God or catch him off guard and shock him. After everything that happens in this world, God has never, say, never said, oh, I didn't see that coming. God has never said those words. In any court decision in this land or across this world, God has never turned to the Holy Spirit and said, oh, what are we going to do now? God does not work that way. His decisions don't get overturned. His word is never overruled. He is above all. He is through all. He is in all. He is all present, all knowing, and all powerful. God moves he moves kings and queens, presidents and senators. He owns the universe. He moves entire nations like pawns on a chessboard. And like Paul says in his letter in first sorry, in Colossians chapter 1, he is a, a before all things and in him all things hold together in church. We've got to get it together. All things hold together because of him and through him. And he is our father. Now that you have heard who God is and what he can do, please let the body of Christ who worships him put him in his rightful place. Our God is set apart. Our God is holy. He is above all and he is in a category all his own. And we have the opportunity to talk to him like he's our father. Man, we hope that this sermon hits you in that kind of a spot to help you recognize just the um, the sincerity, the personal uh, relationship that you can have with this Father. And if you need help in beginning that process, please feel free to reach out to us. NorthLiberty.cc, contact us, and let us know how we can help you know this Father. Thanks for listening in and participating in this message with us. We look forward to doing this with you again next week.